Hey everybody, on the run with Beards and Done, back for another episode, and we brought another guest. And Dick, um, this is a guest, this is kind of unique. Usually Dick has a, a, an acquaintance through the running world that he's able to tap, or I, we're, we know someone mutual that we can, you know, go, yeah, that'd be a great guest. Let's call him up, a coach, a runner, somebody like that. Neither one of us has ever met our guest before today, even though I kind of feel like we know him because he's written a book called The Front Runner, and he was gracious enough to give each one of us a copy to kind of, I don't know why you did that, Brad, we'll ask you in a minute here, why you wanted uh, us to take a look at it, and and we did, and I, you know, as soon as I started reading it, uh, I couldn't put it down, it's, a, it's, it's just one of those, you know, I've always loved running, and yet m- most books about running fiction, or, you know, a lot of biographies are mostly facts and figures, which are, I enjoy that, I enjoy reading about people's backgrounds, but to find a, a, a book about running that actually was written by a runner who understands running, I think is unique. And so we asked Brad Fowley. Am I saying it right, Brad? Sure, Fowley. Fowley, yeah. excuse me. Yeah, uh, right. He's the author. And he sent us the book. And after we both read it, we quickly contacted him and said, would this be possible to visit with us? And he graciously said, yes. Yeah. So, Brad, thank you and welcome um, we're going to uh, kind of get started here by learning a little bit about you. I think, you know, well, you've had a little chance. But done. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Brad, first off, thank you. Yes, very much. And Dunn knows this. I have not read a book, a, a real book. <laughs> I read magazines and, and newspapers. newspapers all the time. In over 50 years, I am not making this up. Oh, wow. And Brad, when I picked up your book, and got it and got into it. I could not turn the pages quick enough. It was gosh dang amazing. So oh. done. Take it from here, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I, you. I have to compliment Dick for his uh, full disclosure there. <laughs> and uh, and I'm not a big book reader either. Um, I I I read books. I think the last book I read was The Boys in the Boat, which is a, a true story of the 1936 Olympic rowing team. And it's actually a biography of Joe, one of the main, the, the rower. It's, it's kind of his story woven into the boys in the boat, which is now a movie. Um, and so, you know, I, I like books that you know, pique my interest. And yet I'm just not one of those voracious readers that just pick up books, you know, here and there and just start cracking into them. I, I've got to kind of have a, a reason. And, you know, just the fact that your book is a running book. So let's let's kind of get into this. You know, I, I, you sent us a little bio. It says you started running in seventh grade. Tell us about that. How did that how did your running start and how did it okay. develop? Glad to. Um, first of all, thank you. I'm honored to be on here. So you guys are uh, amazing coasts. And I've read I've looked at some of your podcasts and also I'm familiar with your running exploits and, and your background. So I'm, I'm really, you know, it's, I'm grateful to be here today. Thank you. Um, so I went out for football in seventh grade. <laughs> Me too. In the, in the fall. Dick and I yeah. both did. This sounds so salute, similar. Go ahead. Yeah. I was a, you know, a 110 pound linebacker, right? <laughs> right. Um, and that, that didn't work out too, too well for me, but one thing that happened was at the end of every practice, uh, the coach would make us run the whole team to the op- you know, to the opposite goalposts and back. And the first five guys back got to go to the shower. <laughs> Everybody else had to go another round. So, you know, it was like 50 guys. Uh-huh. So 
Um, and I quickly figured out I wasn't the fastest guy, but if I could wait a couple of rounds, I could I could usually beat everybody else on the third pass. And uh, then I thought, well, maybe I'm pretty good at, you know, distance running. And I went out for track in the fall, excuse me, in the spring. And uh, our track was around the parking lot <laughs> at my junior high in central Ohio on blacktop. And uh, I started and, and I just fell in love with it. So ever since then, I gave up football and, you know, became a distance runner. How, uh, how fast did you get in high school? Do you mind sharing? Do you remember your personal best? Mile, two mile, half mile? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so my mile was 421.3. Darn. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and I, 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 I'll say this because it's, this is, it's, it's fun to share this. I beat Tom Byers in that race. Oh, in, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, to qualify for states. It's the only time I ran against him a number of times. He was in a high school, a couple towns over and we were in the same class year. And, uh, but it's the only time I ever beat him, but, uh, still that's a big feather in your cap. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'll Tom, take that. Tom, yeah, Tom Byers went on to be a, is a world-class runner, ran over in Europe, ran for athletics West, I think, didn't he? I yeah, think so. Yeah. 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 And, and it's a great story. In fact, you wove that story of Tom Byers into the into your book. Which yeah, there are a lot now that yeah <laughs> that makes for and we're going to get into your process because I was wondering about that. Um, yeah. You know the fact that you use actual factual running history in a fictional book. I liked it because it made it feel not fiction to me. Oh, me too. To, okay, so you ran high. You went to high school and had a. I would guess it, it sounds very successful running career. Did yeah, you get recruited? I, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got recruited from um, <clears throat> a number of schools, um, and like all guys my age, I had a girlfriend. Uh, not all guys, but most guys. <laughs> and um, she decided to go to Marietta College, and I had all these offers to go to a, a lot of schools, uh, Bucknell and Dartmouth and all these other places. Somebody even offered me 500 bucks to go. Wow. Um, but yeah. Um, but I, f I followed my girlfriend to Marietta and uh, we broke up within six weeks. <laughs> I was going to say, is she, did she go on to be your wife? No, okay, never mind. Never mind. No, she didn't. Um, but we're still friends now. I, I saw her at uh, my 50th high school reunion recently. Nice. Um, so it's fine. But, uh, and I, I love Marietta. I don't regret it. Um, and I ran uh, four years there, college, cross country, track, road racing, um, you know, the whole thing that you, you guys are very familiar with, I'm sure. Where, where um, is, I apologize, where is that college that's great. at? It's in southeastern Ohio. Uh, it's right, oh, okay. It, it's on the Ohio River, right where the Muskingum uh, meets uh, uh, the Ohio. And I had a pretty good career there. I made All-American, small college, All-American and cross-country and 5,000 meters. I uh, ran a 4.11.8 mile. Um, I ran a 2.33 marathon on one hour sleep. <laughs> you know. There's a story there. <laughs> there is a story. There's a long story there. But, uh, yeah. And then I, after college, I... Um, I wanted to keep running competitively, but life got in the way. As it um, does. And I, it, 
And you know what? It's one of my regrets. Um, I'm sure my life would have turned out differently, but I don't know whether it would have been better or worse, but I wish I had given it three or four years of really training to see what my limits are. But I didn't do that. I went to graduate school. I went to law school. I got, I was working two jobs. I still tried to train. We could talk about that later, um, which is part of the book too. I, I figured I had an hour a day. So I just run like quarter mile intervals until I collapse and then, <laughs> and then jog back home. And actually ran a marathon on quarter mile intervals only. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, and and so then I you know kind of grew up and and I've run continuously since then, but not at any competitive level. Uh, I think I think the book is was my way of finding out in a fictional way what I could have been or what I could have done or what it would have taken to to get there and um that, that so, was a so lot. brad so yeah the book did you ever have a i mean did you ever have a journalism degree i mean what <laughs> got you thought i'm going to write this book because it's i mean it's really really good oh, i appreciate that um no i uh i have a law degree and i'm a trial lawyer okay i try to stop doing that but and so you know i'm used to stitching stories together because when you have a trial before a judge or a jury, you're you're telling a story to sure. the people and uh, trying to figure out what's the most persuasive way of doing that. So I have a lot of experience doing that. And I write as a lawyer. I've written every day for the last 30 whatever years. Um, and I've always written creatively on the side. But um, so my wife is an actress. Oh. And so she's always involved in. She's made a, a number of movies, um, TV shows, commercials. Wow. And um, we often talk about, yeah, we talk about things that we're watching. And, and one day I got it in my head, I was going to write a screenplay about nice. the most epic running movie you could ever see. I, I thought, okay, <laughs> you know, I had these visions of people running across the desert and these amazing races and everything. And I thought, I'm going to I'm going to write it. And I found out that writing a screenplay requires a craft. There's a craft to it because you can only transmit what the camera can see or what the the, the viewers can hear. That's all. You can't tell sure. interior feelings unless you artistically are able to depict it. Um, so, but I wrote the screenplay and, um, and I was fortunate to be introduced to a professional screenplay writer who looked at it and was very encouraging about the creativity, but not so much about the craft. And, um, and in that discussion with him, uh, you know, I found out that his biggest frustration with screenplay writing is that, um, the movie studios always change his screenplay. So they would, you know, the actors would bring something to it. The director would bring something to it, the production company. And pretty soon he couldn't recognize it anymore. So I thought, ah, I'll write a novel okay. about my screenplay. And then if it ever gets made into a movie, they can't change it. Yeah. So that's how the novel came to be. And I wrote the novel and now... 
coming full circle, the same guys working with me on the screenplay and three movie production companies have indicated an interest in, uh, in the movie. So we'll see. Can, can Dick and I get a part? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it could be the announcers, Bud and Bob. Remember those two guys? I love it. Yes. Yeah. They were talking about, well, this guy's going to die any minute now. He can't keep this pace up. You know, I love that. Okay, Dick, we just got cameos. Or, no, I don't know. Whatever. Hey, I, 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 I once played a tree stump in my four, in my four H uh, County fair play. <laughs> so you have experience all right. um you know brad i'm just impressed as all get out because i just when you were talking about a novel i remember reading uh, i love george sheehan i don't know if you're familiar, familiar with george sheehan and he sure, wrote yeah. several books uh, personal best and all these and running and being yeah. and and he said you know he talked about uh, athletes uh, being artists he talked about the greatest form of art is a novel only the novel can can cap no i got you only a novel captures the full person you know uh, a a sculptor can get the the image the painter but the novel is the is like the ultimate form of art how long did it take you or what's your process of writing a novel well uh, i'll go back to uh i kind of had a structure in my mind for the screenplay so before i started writing the novel i i had a, a basically an outline that changed, of course, over time as I added parts and, and um, deleted sections. Um, and I, I think as I, I, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I, I read a number of books about storytelling and the, uh, the hero's journey is, is an instrumental classic way of telling a story. Um, and um, after I had a an outline together, you know, I, I, I was saying I, I run with my wife, Anne, uh, every, almost every morning and we would bounce ideas off each other. She's an actress. And so she's really familiar with the whole creative process of storytelling and scripts and, and, uh, extremely helpful. And we'd bounce ideas around. And then, um, I hired a professional editor, uh, to help me, look at the developmental structure of the story, find out where there were holes, things that needed to be filled in. And it's interesting, you know, I always thought editors would get in there and change your words and change the way you said things, but they don't do that at all. At least the, the ones I have experience with, they've been amazing um, prompters of, you know, looking at a character and saying, this is an important point in the story. What's this character thinking at this point in time? The, the word interiority, which I had never heard before, came up. What, give me some more interiority about this character or this relationship of these two characters. And I actually found that, you know, when I started writing this, I thought, oh, I want to write the running scenes. I want to see the, you know, the races. And, and, and I love all that part of it. But what I turned out loving more than anything was digging into the interpersonal relationships, what drove the characters, um, the relationship between the father and the son, and um, and and then his the, the my protagonist Russ's and, and his coach who became a father figure, um, and what these people all went through during this journey that um, my characters followed and, and even the Russians and it it turned out that I actually 
The most interesting character is one of the twins to me, Sergei Pushkin. Sergei, yeah. Who's oh, what a and you know what a story. I'm thinking about a a sequel that's really going to be his story after this this book ended. What happened to him? Well, yeah, I'm not going to give away anything, but that that character was very um, unique. Um, you know, had. I'm, I'm trying to think of how to put it, you know, his, his mental uh, well-being. Um, it was really hard to, to try to get in, you know, you, his character was so complex. I'll put it that way. It was complex. That, that was, that was yeah, very enjoyable to read that. And, you know, I, I, when you were talking about going out and running, you know, I keep dropping George Sheehan's name a lot. I really respected that man. And, and I heard him speak twice and read his books. And, and he would talk about writing for his column and he wrote on medical stuff, running injuries, blah, blah, blah. And he said he'd, he'd write an article and he'd read it. And he goes, he called it, as somebody else, another author called it mud. <laughs> it just didn't have any life to it. It was kind of facts and figures. So he said, you know, he would put it in his back pocket figuratively and go out and run with it. Yeah. And then he'd come back and sit down and redo it in new associations had connected, new, you know, the neurons. And he would be able to create a story to make these facts and figures of interest rather than just mud as he would refer to it as. And I, I so when you said that, I thought, wow, that that's, that's, a, you know, and I think great thinkers in, in were, were prolific walkers, you know, they didn't have running maybe in their day, but they'd go out Emerson and Thoreau were prolific walkers and they'd use movement. And, and I think you did the same thing. You know, you use, you'd get out and free your mind, what is it that exercises celebration of the body, but a playground for the mind. Right. And, uh, and it worked, it worked really well. Um, did you ever get like writer's block? Um, I actually, I never did. Um, I, I'm the person that if I'm given an assignment, I can fulfill it. And I would give myself assignments and also my editors like, make this scene very compelling, you know, find a twist that's going to leave the reader hanging. So they want to go to the next chapter. And I have so many running stories from all the years that I was able, I was able to draw on all that stuff. Cause um, you know, you, you know, when you go out for a run, you're, you're telling stories to each other and stuff happens and, I tried to bring, I mean, most of this book is somehow derived from something that personally happened to me over my life. Sure. So, That's what makes it so uh, uh, fun to read because it's not, I think runners can all feel that and, and, and relate to it in such a great way. Okay. I'm thinking, you know, you've got a, a, a screenplay, you've developed a novel, you worked with your editors you know, some experts and you've re- you kind of got to put together. Now it's like, okay, who do I show this to? How do you, what's the next step? Yeah. How, do, what do you do? So, yeah, this is the, the, the nasty part of book writing, <laughs> which is how, how do you get it published? Right. right. Um, and so the traditional way of doing that is to hire, not hire, find and find an agent who's going to carry you. Hmm. Uh, and getting an agent to then shop it out to publishing companies. And I'll tell you guys, um, sports fiction is not very saleable. 
of their, they think about it. How many sports fiction books are there about running? Right. There's Once a Runner, again, to Carthage, all by John Parker, the same guy. Right. There's not a lot of, you know, people, people want to read about real runners uh, who have succeeded in doing something. So, you know, cause their stories are often so compelling. So, um, but you know, you got Rocky and you got, you know, other, other stories that are inspiring that, that people might be interested in um, million dollar baby, but I couldn't find any agent who was interested in this book. And I, I have a stack of no's wow. from maybe a hundred different literary agents who said not interested. Yeah. Um, then it occurred to me that um, in my, in my town, I live in, in Vermont, there is a woman, Dee Dee Cummings, <clears throat> who I remembered was a, uh, an agent for literary books. And I contact, contacted her with the idea of her possibly becoming my agent. She said, well, send me the book. So I sent her the book and she wrote back and said, I don't do agenting anymore. I started my own publishing company called wow. Greenwriters Press. And I, and I love your book and we want to publish it. <laughs> wow. I love so, it. So, yeah. I leapt over the agent and went right to publishing <laughs> and um, nice. And she, she's been a joy to work with um, and her team. And it, and it actually just yesterday they sent the um, final version of both the cover and the text to the printer. And it's, it's being printed right now. Nice. You know, all those no's had to be so discouraging, but you know, Brad, look at what it brought at the end, you know, and, it, and that's such a, uh, the patience, it's like running all those years of training. And sometimes you, you lose, you fail, you get injured, you come back and, 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 and you keep trying, you keep trying. And then, the, and then that one person, and it was yeah. DD for you. How many, I, I got to ask how many, what's a run? How many books are they going to publish of this? Because I think they need more. Uh, so, we're, <laughs> <laughs> so we're starting off with a run of 5,000 hard, hardback. Okay. Um, and, you know, they can, the, the printing company can turn out uh, any, the, the next run with about three weeks notice. Oh, nice. So, um, yeah. So we're having the book launches at the Boston Marathon. Um, I, Perfect the, place. Yeah. Greenwriters Press has a booth at, at the expo, so I'll be there with uh, the my one of my editors, and my wife, and Dee Dee, and um, you know we're going to be uh, have books to sign and and to sell if people want them, and um, and then after that I, I have a reading at a Barnes and Noble in Natick that same Boston Marathon weekend, and a bunch of other events lined up now um going into the future so i'm pretty excited and you know hopefully people will buy it and if they do uh, they'll pr we'll print more cool well, and, and i'm not, i'm actually working on an audiobook right now my wife is yeah. my wife is reading it um oh, nice. which is interesting because a lot of the story is to told from the male perspective mm -hmm. But she is an amazing actress, and I'm just, I mean, she's bringing so much to the story that, um, 
you know, there's no doubt in my mind it's going to be nice. well-received. You know, Dick, Dick's got a book, and Dick can probably relate to a lot of what you were talking about. And, um, you know, Dick, did you – I think your initial run was about 5,000, wasn't it? You know, it was 5,000, and then, and then it went in hardback or hardcover, yeah. and then it went to, to the um, – Whatever the what? soft cover, whatever they call soft it, soft cover, whatever you call yeah. it. Yeah. And but yeah. you know, that was 22 years ago, and you know what? It we we were fortunate to get the uh, University of Minnesota to publish it, and typically the kind of books that they published then and and even now, it's like how to tell a rock from a stone. I mean, it's you know <laughs> scientific stuff like that. <laughs> so they they took a chance with this book, and they. They said it's the longest running book they've ever had that's still in print. So, you know, it's it's we just kind of got lucky there. That's amazing. It's, I can't imagine they like a lot of geography book or geology <laughs> books or, you know, yeah, we need another run of that geology. Anyway, but no, that's exciting. And Brad, I, I you know, I, I can't speak highly enough of the book because after reading it, it's as Dick called it, it's a page turner. And like, and I actually went back and I was so excited reading it. I, I read it too fast. I'll be honest with you. It's almost like fast forwarding through a movie where you're kind of looking for the action. Mm. And I don't know if that's the way you felt when you're writing it, you're kind of looking for the action, but there's so much that you want to pay attention to between the action. So I, I just mm. the other night, I went back and read the last hundred pages. I'm going to go back and read the whole book again. And I, you know, I was able oh. to get so much more the second time through uh, because I think I was too excited. It's probably like in a race. I went out too fast. I know. And I got in trouble. You know, <laughs> and uh, anyway, and so uh, I'll, I'll just tell you know any listeners, you know, and Dick, are you going to be out in Boston at all for this year or not at all? Sometimes you're there. No, I know. And sometimes I, you're not. Not. That, not that I'm aware of. Okay, right Brad. Now, Dick's but, available. Um... Have him sit at your booth. And <laughs> the book. Yes. He brings them in. Let me tell you, oh. they know Dick in Boston. So I'm just throwing that out there as a suggestion. But you mentioned <laughs> that sounds great. You mentioned a reading um, at Barnes and Noble. Would you? And I think you're prepared maybe to do one or two for us. Absolutely. If you if you'd like, I can. Awesome. Uh, I think I can yes. read a couple sections. Please do. So for anybody who's listened to our podcast, this is just a taste of what uh, Brad's books is about. All right. Um, so I'll set the two parts up that I um, that I selected. Um, the book is uh, about a young man who's 16 years old. He lives in a small town in Kansas. He's the protagonist, and um, it's not that he doesn't like his people in his town or his hometown or anything, but he wants to find something for himself, and he's not sure what it is um, to to move towards. And um, I, his father works at a uh, service station as a repairman, and the guy that owns the station is a former runner. He's a, he's a vet who lost a, a leg and he never was able to run after that. But uh, the vet encourages Russ to consider running because Russ has been uh, delivering uh, uh, prescriptions for a local pharmacy. And, and the, the way he sorts things out in his mind, like all runners, as you were talking about before, Mike, <laughs> 
um, you go out in the road and, and things in your mind get sorted out and, and you feel better about your day or, or you're able to work out problems that you have. And that's what Russ has been doing. But the idea of actually running and possibly getting a scholarship at a college uh, is his way out of town. So the setup for this section is that um, Russ decides kind of spontaneously he's going to go enter the local firecracker four-miler, which is held at the fairgrounds. He's never run in a race before in his life, and it's eight miles from his hometown out to the fairgrounds. So he gets up one morning and he runs to the fairgrounds. And when he gets there, he realizes, oh, there's an entry fee? And he didn't realize he had to pay an entry fee. So he's a shy kid, and he decides, well, I'm not going to – I'm not going to run now. I can't run. So he stands by the sidelines. And for some reason, uh, when the gun goes off, he can't help himself. And he bursts off the sidelines and takes off. And this is near the end of the race. The two men in the lead run side by side and seem to know each other, as if they've done this many times before and are waiting for something to happen. Once in a while, one glances over his shoulder to look at Russ tailing them. The men breathe hard, but have not slowed the pace since the third mile marker. Without warning, as if sending telepathic signals to each other, they increase their cadence and open a small gap. Before Russ can respond, the gap grows and Russ feels the tether between him and the leaders break. Russ pushes, but so do they, and the gap continues to spread. Then Russ sees the Ferris wheel rise up above the field of corn about a half mile ahead, and a familiar feeling of excitement sweeps over him, tingling, like he felt the night he stood poised to leap at the top of the quarry, about to commit, sailing into the dark night, unable to reverse his decision to give himself up to whatever lies ahead. Without conscious effort or thought, Russ lifts up and accelerates, pulls even, hesitant, even embarrassed to take the lead. The three of them now spread across the road, shoulder to shoulder. But then, when they press forward a few inches, Russ realizes that by pausing, he has given them the idea that this is all he can do. So before the two men break contact with them, he passes them back gapping them by 10 yards. They do not or cannot respond to the move of the boy in his worn running shoes. Russ is surprised to find himself out in front with only the flashing police car ahead. For an instant, he slows, remembering he didn't pay the registration fee and has no number pinned to his chest. He feels that he has somehow cheated and wonders what will happen but that feeling dissipates when he turns onto the fairgrounds road and sees the finish line ahead. The feeling of uncertainty replaced by a sense of rebellion. He is exactly where he is meant to be, not on the sidelines, not in the pack of runners, but instead right here in front of all the racers. He feels that he has become something dangerous something for those he admires to reckon with. Until this moment, he has never felt dangerous before in his entire life. He likes it and breaks into a full out sprint. 
The finish line looms, along with a group of officials glancing up from their stopwatches, and the flashing police car pulls to the side. Coming into the finish, Russ surprises himself for the third time that morning, runs off the course, and disappears into the fairgrounds crowd. He runs at full tilt, past the families strolling down the main fairway, past the food stands and games of chance, and around the animal barns filled with prized pigs and Holsteins until he reaches the back gate and turns down the gravel road, headed for home. And it gets better. <laughs> it gets better what happens after Dang. that. That is, uh, I don't know, Dick, if you can relate to any of that. Feeling dangerous and, yeah, liking that feeling. Um, oh, gosh. That is that is yeah. uh, good stuff. Do you have another section, Brad, that you'd be willing to share? There's one more I know that we talked sure. about. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at some point in the story, uh, after a lot of developments, Russ decides to pursue basically an impossible dream for a runner. <laughs> and it's so crazy that he can only find one person who will help him. And he goes to the desert to find an ex world-class marathoner who has given up on running many years ago because, um, he was cheated out of a gold medal by, um, a Russian who was doping and has lived ever since in the desert on his own ranch. Um, and uh, many people have come to him to try to get him to coach them, but they never have been able to kind of measure up. And he and Russ find uh, some commonality. Uh, at the very beginning, though, Russ is questioning this character. His name is Brad Coy. Um, about um, what it will take to win. And um, Coy tells Russ, science doesn't win races. That's become the myth because it's the only way it's always been done. It all started with Bannister, a med student who had limited time to train between classes and still wanted to break four minutes for the mile. He applied the scientific method and devised a system of running quarter mile reps aimed at achieving his goal. He broke four minutes, Russ says. Yeah, and never did much better afterwards. His system was geared to limit his potential, not surpass it. Imagine what he could have done had he thrown his system out the window and learned to tap into himself and just run. Unfortunately, once Bannister's system became known, it became the rage. And then the only way, the secret sauce. A few rebelled. Your hero, Zatopek, for one. And the Aussie coach, Saruti. Saruti, with his training camp at Portsea and his crew, Elliot and Landy, running the dunes, were on the right track. So there's no place for scientific training. The Russians have been working on an artificial intelligence program for years that measures and provides instantaneous feedback on every available parameter of physiology, something aimed at replacing the brain. But even then, 
while they may be able to max out the physical max the physical output of a human they still need to contend with this brad points to his head and they have not figured out how to do that yet regardless of how fit the russians can make a runner the runner is still limited by his internal voice the one that tells him he's going to hurt himself if he keeps going the one that tells him to back off if he can't overcome the voice all the physical training in the world will not make him a champion um you know when i'm listening to this i'm thinking of dick beardsley cuz dick I, oh my you know, gosh I, I me dick too told me a story about when he used to write write his splits on his arm and he'd try to hit these splits and and he's trying to and <laughs> finally was it New York in eighty one New York nineteen eighty you made the decision I'm not writing my splits down I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry about what my splits are I'm nineteen eighty nineteen eighty I'm gonna race I'm gonna race I'm not gonna try to hit a scientific you know what are my limits Yep if I go out faster than like one fifteen for fifteen miles that's five minute pace Oh my gosh if I go faster than that I won't be able to fit those kind of thoughts will start entering in his mind and. And I know, Dick, you and I were talking about when you ran your 208, you had been studied by physiologist, Dr. Dave Costell, name one, famous. And I think you shared with me, he said, Dick, you actually ran above your physical limitations. Um, wow. Now, how does he know what Dick's physical limitations are other than some laboratory scientific mumble jumbo? Dick, right. Dick didn't know what his scientific limitations were, thank God, because he... That's why he ran it 208. Exactly. You know, and I think a lot of guys look yeah. at Dick's times in the past, and I, and they kind of go, how is this guy, how was he able to do it? That You point to your head, you point to your head, you know, it's not always the science, it's not always the numbers, it's that intangible. And that's what this book really, I think, is what hits to my heart is, um, is so many of the... the it's really, you know, it's the person inside of you uh, that it makes all the difference in the world and what, what transpires and what, what's possible and what's not possible. And, and it is a work of fiction, but it's really good fiction, let me tell you. And it's based on, you know, I don't know how you got the, you know, being a runner, you understand the physiology, talking about, you know, how many calories we burn, what our limitations are, the physical body and how we can compensate and, and adapt and train the body. And, you know, that's some insight that only a runner knows that, that somebody's been there. You know, I, I, Brad, I could spend a long time visiting with you and I hope I will someday. You know, you, you, uh, you mentioned the movies rights and i think you still retain those i hope yeah you know i think i would i do, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I would encourage you know i think it would be a just a dynamite uh, a movie i think first you know it's kind of like boys in the boat i recommended that book to pretty much anybody i ran into and we had a conversation that gave me the opportunity to bring up the story and a lot of people said yeah, i've heard of it or some people go what i, I don't know what you're talking about and i just say look do yourself a favor and i'm saying the thing, same thing about the front runner I, I think, you know, for, for a first attempt, you, you, you hit a home run. Um, and I'll just try not to, Thanks, to blow you up any more than that. Uh, what's, what's the future holding right. for Brad Fowley? You know, the book's coming out. You're going to be on a book tour. You're going to, you know, it's going to eat up some of your life for probably the next, I hope, for a long time, six months to a year. Do you, are you back writing? 
I am. I have another <laughs> novel uh, in the works. I actually have two or three ideas. Um, I've written a short story that I've, uh, I'm going to put out to some literary magazines. And um, I, I mean, if somebody asked me, even when I was 22 years old, what would you love to do every day if you could do anything you wanted? And for me, it's always been, I would love to get up, pour myself a cup of coffee and write, and then spend the rest of the afternoon, you know, running or working with my hands. Um, but, um, you know, you got to make a living and being a lawyer was, um, rewarding in a lot of different ways. Um, I love competition. That's why I'm a litigator and that's why I was a runner. Uh, so I like to win and, um, and, and it's fun to, to go through that process. But if I could, if I could choose what to do, I would be a writer. And, uh, now I hopefully will be able to, uh, sell enough of these copies so that I can, do this full time. I mean, I'm 69 years old, so I don't need to really work well, that you, much you, more. You but. were well, and I, I didn't think you're you're older than I am, and that kind of makes me jealous. Well, anyway, <laughs> but I think we lost Dick. Dick's out in Chamberlain, and and on all of our listeners yeah. will understand this. He's out there fishing. Nobody's going to go what? And and he's <laughs> he was in a hotel trying to. And I think the internet connection might have failed him there, and so. I, don't take it personal, Dick. You didn't offend Dick. He didn't hang up on you or anything like that. And I know he's going to be sad yeah. that you know we weren't able to kind of close here with you. But I think we're going to wrap it up. And uh, again, sure. um, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I just can't uh, thank you enough because I really love the book. Uh, I know Dick does. Um, I've actually uh, passed the book on to a friend of mine who's reading it, and he says the same thing. Um, I've probably told about eight people the book in a nutshell without giving away the best parts. And they're all like, well, cool. And so definitely on our podcast, on our website, uh, 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 on the run to Beards and, Beards and Done Pod, we will have some uh, information available how they can access the book. I don't know if it's, is it pre-ordered uh, available now, Brad? It is, oh, cool. you can pre-order it at, at your local bookstore, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I see it's even available on Target. Uh, cool. So if they just go and search the front runner by Brad Fowley, F A W L E Y, boom, it'll stay yes. there. It is. Wow, people do not hesitate. Do not hesitate. If, if you're a runner, you're definitely going to want it. And then you're, unfortunately, runners are the kind of people, once they get a great book, they're going to hand it to another runner and they won't make an, you won't make a sale there, Brad. You're gonna, we, that's okay. I know that's because that's. Got, how, I have no problem yeah, with that. It's kind of like we, we, we pass things along, but. Uh, Again, uh, it's just hard for me to close here. Thank you, Thank Mike. you, Brad, for giving us some of your time. And, and I'm going to thank you guys that are listening. If you have any questions for us or comments uh, about the show, you can direct it. Uh, you know, read it, reach us on our website, as I just mentioned, beardsanddonepod.com, or leave us a comment on our Facebook, Instagram, or X. Um, you know, and if you're watching on YouTube, leave us a comment. We'd love to have you subscribe. And I hope everybody has a great day. And, Brad, thanks again. And I hope you have a fantastic book opening April 9th, correct? Is that when it's going to be? That's uh, right. Yep. It's going to do gangbusters, I can tell. And and uh, I, I can't wait for your second run of about 50,000. So. Thank you, Mike. And it's so great to meet you uh, this way. Yep. Hopefully we'll get to talk again sometime. Great. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care. <laughs>